You are listening to DG Talks, a podcast brought to you by Delta Gamma. Each month, the Delta Gamma host will speak on a different topic, covering a wide range of interests for our sisters. We look forward to engaging with you on social media about other topics you would like to hear, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Renfrey. I am a professor of public administration and policy at the University of Montana. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this brief lecture about the role of women in public service. So my background is in, or my professional training is in uh, political science, my PhD, and I have a master's degree in public administration. But my life's research for over the last 15 years has really been focusing on public policy um, through the lens of public sector agencies. And I also have a specific focus on the role of women in public service. So what I wanted to share with you today is looking at more holistically about the role of women and the impact that women have on U.S. public policymaking. I'm going to take a different vantage point. I'm going to explore three broad examples, the role of Congress, the president, and the bureaucracy. If you have questions about the courts, I'm happy to do that if you follow up with me. But I want to talk about some areas that we might not be as familiar with. And then I'm going to conclude with thinking about how our own educational endeavors can really have a make an impact on what we do in a day-to-day basis. And it's us moving beyond us versus them and thinking about public service as politics. So to get us started, if you have a moment, I just want you to maybe even just pause this lecture and really consider the names of two powerful men men in public service and then list two names of powerful women in public service. So what instantly comes to mind? So just jot those down. Next, after you jot those down, two powerful men in public service, two powerful women. How would you define those individuals? What are their most notable characteristics? Last but not least is, did you use different words to describe these individuals? And so I wanted to start with this broad description of how we perceive each other and others because every policy begins with a story and shaped by our own perceptions and how we define each other. So I think about my own example of why I became a college professor. I'm a kid from rural Ohio. I grew up in a town of 3,000, and I never thought that I would have the ability to go on to get a PhD. I grew up in a class of 100 students, and five of us went to college. But I also learned at a young age about the role of women in a rural northeast small town in Ohio that, you know, why is it that maybe women aren't always included in conversations, and I would have conversations about this with my family. So I just share this briefly with you, thinking about our own perceptions and how we describe others, impacts, the policies that we pass, but our own experiences and own socialization and normalization and upbringing shapes not only what we do, but the policies that we pass in the United States and the opportunities afforded to us. So just a a thing to think about as we begin. So in political science, we discuss power quite a bit. 
And the origins of this come from a political scientist named Harold Waswell. And he argues that we have to understand who gets what, when, and how. So we use power to determine who has the power to decide and then what drives our political institutions. And I want to share with you through the lens of Congress and the presidency and the bureaucracy, how we have these different access points of influence, if we think about public service more broadly, and the role of women within each of these. And I'm gonna explore this through congressional influence, presidential spouses, and then the bureaucracy regulatory influence. Starting with the role of Congress, I think that you're probably all familiar with maybe the Schoolhouse Rocks and US government or history class. But we know that the Constitution states that Congress is the lawmaking body of our country, and it's supposed to be the most representative body. So currently, women make up more than half of the U.S. population. But as of 2020, we have 435 members of the U.S. House of Representatives, 101 women out of 435, so 23% of the House of Representatives is female. And then the U.S. Senate, which has 125 women, so 25% of the Senate. So if we are supposed to have Congress, that is supposed to be the most representative population of the United States, then why is it that, you know, a little bit less than 25% in either chamber make up the role of women and then if you look at the role of minority women, it's even less. So the Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers University has done quite a bit of research on this, and I want to talk a little bit about this, is why is it if our lawmaking bodies are not representative of the people that it serves, then how can we expect policies to reflect the population? Kelly Dittmeyer from the Center for American Women in Politics has really talked about how why is it that women don't run for office? But let's really get behind what happens when women are in Congress. So in 2017, and she's continu continuing her work today, is that we can learn from the stories of women on the ground, so women in public service. She argues that women really symbolize the ability to work across party lines, so moving past the politicking that women, Republican and Democrat, are more susceptible to working together. They provide a different perspective, so benefits for their workplace, and they move beyond party polarization. So even, you know, thinking about the own state or where you grew up, you know, thinking about how many women have been elected to your state and what can we learn from their stories. And so what we've learned are these seven broader areas of why maybe women are not running for office. We do see record numbers to date, but then why do they run? And then what happens once they get elected? So a couple things going back to our stories and why I had to start off with thinking about the role of women and men in public service. So one argument is that the system is biased against the role of women. So normalizations that if you don't see women and minorities all the time, that they seem like the exception instead of the norm. Think about our perceptions of gender. So looking at how Hillary Clinton or Sarah Palin, how do we perceive them? How do the media perceive them? And so maybe in a negative light, and then women aren't willing to run for office. Women also report that they don't feel like they're qualified. 
they're less likely to encourage to be run. So it takes a woman more than seven times to be asked to run to actually run for office. And then think about the different responsibilities in terms of, you know, the workplace setting and raising children. So those are some of the reasons why they don't run. But then when they are in office, they make a tremendous impact in terms of moving beyond us versus them and being able to work together across party lines. Shifting to my other example is the role of women in the presidency. So we know that we've never had elected woman to the president, but I wanna share with you a different perspective, the role of women and first spouses. So presidential candidate spouses and first spouses, so the first lady. My colleague from Hartwick College did a significant public opinion research study two years ago looking at how we, the American people, perceive first ladies and presidential spouses. So this is a nationwide study just two years ago. And what she found in examining from the Carter administration to the Obama administration is that individuals view the first lady as someone that should have a more traditional role, like the role of a mother. And they do not want first ladies to assist with public policy making decisions. So they classify this as appropriate or inappropriate behavior. Same thing for candidate spouses. So if candidates are running for office, you know, one example is when Howard Dean was running for president in the mid 2000s, his wife is a medical doctor and Americans perceive that she was not campaigning with her husband. So they felt like that was inappropriate behavior. So you think maybe some of these conceptions that we had in the 1950s, we're still seeing this emergent today and helps us understand why maybe women still have not achieved the highest office in the land. Last but not least is work that I've investigated for the last 15 years is the role of the bureaucracy. So the bureaucracy would be federal or state agencies. So thinking about the Environmental Protection Agency, the Fish and Wildlife Service, so Congress passes laws, and it doesn't go into this big black box. They've created agencies where they interpret the law and carry it out. So this is what I often classify as where the rubber meets the road. And this is where a great deal of our workforce is employed. So I want us to think about the role of women in implementing public policy. So once a law is created, Congress delegates its authority to agencies like the US EPA to interpret the law and go through this rulemaking process where it invites public engagement, they interpret it. And once they go through this process, it becomes law. So the question becomes, what role do women play? So women do make up quite a bit of the federal workforce, so agencies across the board, but most of the women are not at the top of the organization. So you're seeing women at the mid-level and at the bottom level of organization. So again, the bureaucracy may be more representative in terms of employing women across disciplines from the sciences to the arts to implement public policy. And it's a way for them to implement public policy on the ground that impacts our daily lives. But again, we're still seeing women at the mid-level and the, 
the entry-level organizations, not at the top. So what does this all mean? I've provided you with a few examples in terms of the bureaucracy, first ladies, you know, candidate spouses, and the role of Congress. Like I started, perceptions matter. We've seen how we perceive each other and the role of women. The bureaucracy is a space for women to make an impact in policy making. We have different access points. And think about how women have made tremendous strides to impact our work today. However, we still have more work to do. And so we have to continue to think about spaces where we have opportunities for women for advancement. And so the idea is that, you know, why isn't it the Supreme Court? You know, you have nine women on the Supreme Court. Why don't we have, you know, 50% of Congress that's women? And, you know, and thinking about how we still have more work to do, but we've made significant strides. And I really think about the role of you, you know, in terms of college and the next generation and us. So I want us to think about some solutions and what we're doing on our own campuses that we can make a difference. So I wanted to close with how education is such a powerful tool and just listening to each other and being able to have a conversation, but public service really matters. So even if you're training to be a scientist, or a social scientist or a doctor, think about all the things that what we do does shape public policy. I think it's important that we take a step back and think about our own perceptions and our own biases and how we can more effectively work together. And as women, we need to continue to step up and create a space and pathways for other women, so women supporting other women so we can increase the representation across these different examples. So one Great example, if your campus has a new leadership program, we do in Montana, it's called Montana New Leadership. So it's a training and leadership development program for women to help you advance maybe in starting your own business or running for office or just understanding public policy. Education is a super powerful tool, but also thinking about how you can be civically engaged and just going out and voting and encouraging others and your friends to do so, it's really easy. And so I think the most important point is that you show up, you help your community. There's a variety of different ways to do so. So I really thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have questions at all, I'm happy to talk with any of you. Again, my name is Dr. Sarah Renfray. I'm the chair of the Department of Public Administration and Policy at the University of Montana. My email is just sarah.renfray at, at umontana.edu if you even just Google me. Um, again, thanks so much, and I think that we have made significant progress. We have some things to still work on, but until we create a space where women in public service is the norm and not the exception, we'll continue to see things change. Thanks, and have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of DG Talks. Be sure to connect with us on Facebook at Delta Gamma. 